you're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammers. Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Baines. Hi, and welcome back to the ScammerCast. This is your co-host, Curtis Bailey. And your other co-host, Art Mains. And we are here truly honored to have somebody with us today from the Federal Trade Commission. You know, the FTC leads the way for the U.S. government in terms of educating the public about scams, fraud, identity theft, and all kinds of consumer protection efforts. Yeah, the Federal Trade Commission is really the nation's consumer protection agency, and we all know that scammers are always looking for ways to exploit the weak and vulnerable among us, and sadly, that often means they're targeting older folks. Indeed it does, and here at the ScammerCast, we strive to bring you the best, most up-to-date information to help you protect yourself and your loved ones from these criminals. Sponsored by Western Union and Midwest Trust. So today, as Art mentioned, we are joined by Stephen Baker, the director of the Midwest Regional Office of the Federal Trade Commission. Welcome to the ScammerCast, Steve. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So as we've mentioned, uh, you are the director of the Midwest Regional Office of the Federal Trade Commission. Tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and about the Federal Trade Commission. Well, I've been working at the Federal Trade Commission doing consumer fraud things for over 30 years, so it's an area I, I know and i I tell you, there's so much fraud out there, I would not believe it if I didn't do it for a living. It's just, and one of the things is, they're so good at these, these scams that, that, I mean, they can get most anybody. They really can. Sometimes we think it only happens to people who are kind of dumb and see now, but these are really professionals. They're really good. And there's so many scams. What we're, I think, out of focus on today is some of the ones that you're, you're really very likely to see. In other words, not something that happened last year to somebody in the next town over but something that there's a very good chance that, that you're going to be confronting directly. Right, right. Tell our audience a little more about the FTC and, and the wide range of issues that the FTC addresses. Well, the FTC is the oldest independent agency of the federal government. We just had our 100th birthday a year or so ago. All right. We do That's antitrust, cool. but we also do consumer protection, which is a big part of our mission. And that includes everything from national advertising to uh, do not call list to various frauds and scams and even claims made in the USA claims. And we even did several cases against Kevin Trudeau, who some of your listeners may have seen at times on late night TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. We civil authority, which allows us to freeze assets and get money back for victims in the case of frauds. But we also like to see some of these people deserve to go to jail. So we work a lot with uh, criminal authorities and the U.S. Attorney's Office in East St. Louis has been one of our best partners through the years. They have gone ahead and taken lots. They've done about a third of the telemarketing fraud prosecutions in the U.S. have been here in the St. Louis metro area. So you guys are kind of fortunate on that. Wow, how about that? That's amazing. Now, Steve, I know we introduced you as the director of the Midwest Regional Office. Where is the office and how many people do you have in it? The uh, FTC Midwest office is located in downtown Chicago, about two blocks from the Art Institute. We have about 20 people. They're all attorneys. 
the whole federal aid pool FTC is very small. Remember, we do antitrust and consumer protection, but all the work we do, there's only about 1,200 people all together to do it. So I think we're the biggest bargain in the federal government. I love it. Good, love good. It. So how did you get involved with the FTC? What led you to uh, go to work there? I had a law professor who had worked at the FTC before, and he recommended it. And I, it has been a fabulous experience. I spent my first six years in Washington before I came out to take over the Chicago office. And it has been, it's like I say, it's always interesting. It's always challenging. And you really do get a sense that you're, that you're really doing something to try to help the public. So it's been a great career. Well, fantastic. So let's dive in specifically to the area of scams and fraud and tell us a little more about all of the outreach efforts that you at the FTC and your folks do. Well, I mean, we want to try to tackle the fraud, and there's a couple ways you can do it. One is to doing education on shows like your own. One of the things that we find is that we hope that people we're talking to can, can, can listen, not so they're afraid, but so they can help their own friends and neighbors and relatives. Because you go to a, a block party or something like that, you're going to find somebody is talking about these sorts of things. And hopefully your listeners will listen so they can help their own friends and neighbors and relatives and know what to do about it. So we do consumer education. We've got, we do a lot of enforcement, we go to federal court to try to shut these things down. It turns out that a lot of this fraud is worldwide. The same scams are operating all over the world. So we're coordinating more and more with our partners in other countries. And we've also got the ability to do some rulemaking. For example, our do not call list was an FTC rulemaking although Congress later passed legislation specifically authorizing it. Okay. And we try to work with our partners because we know we can't do it alone. Nobody's ever going to say we're the FTC, we're in charge here now. So we do great work with Illinois AG's office, the Missouri AG's office. They work hard on these things. Better Business Bureaus and kind of whoever else is willing to work with us, we're happy to cooperate. That's terrific. You know, I going back to your point about the international scope of the frauds, I mean, I, I'm reading stuff from the U.K., from Canada, from Australia, New Zealand, from Japan, all over the world. So when you try to fight it here, do you find that they just sort of move on somewhere else and, and try to rip off people elsewhere? Yeah, we, we've, had, we've long had problems, especially with the first place we really had international cross-border fraud was out of Canada. And we've worked mm -hmm. real closely with Canadian law enforcement for years and years. We've made huge headway on there. There's really not that many actual boiler room telemarketing operations in Canada anymore, except in Montreal. Montreal is kind of like the South Florida of Canada. Okay. Um, we also <laughs> That's see, good. <laughs> we also see massive amounts of fraud, obviously, from Nigeria, right. India, more and more the Philippines, a little bit of the Mexico. Jamaica's huge, mm -hmm. um, Costa Rica. And we're all trying to work together on some of this stuff and try to sh compare notes with uh, with other countries. So that Nigerian prince is still out there, huh? The Nigerians, I wouldn't laugh at the Nigerians. Yeah. I mean, this is massive. I mean, those those stupid letters, they don't do as much anymore. Right. We actually did a study on those one time at Stanford on why the hell do the people do these letters and <laughs> or emails, and why do they mention Nigeria because it's so obvious. And I think what they concluded is since the fact you can send like a million or... 10 million emails for almost nothing, even if a hundredth of a tenth of 1% of people actually respond because they're curious or gullible, mm -hmm. then those people have self-selected 
yeah. as as potentially really kind of susceptible, and they quickly switch them into other frauds and yeah. and black money frauds and all sorts of other things that get very complicated very quickly. Interesting. So it's a, it's a, a cost of doing business for the scammer. It's so low in Nigeria that uh, they don't need that big of a return to make a profit, right? Well, that's right. And there's tons of people in Nigeria, for example, who speak English, first their first language. They're very well educated. They're not much in the way of jobs. And they can make a ton of money. Um, there's probably a couple dozen very common frauds, some of which I think we'll talk about today that are really the people right behind them are out of Nigeria. Right, right. Yeah. Very interesting. So, Steve, what are sort of the most current scams and fraud that the FTC is tracking right now? Well, the number one source of consumer complaints we're getting these days are IRS impersonators. So people call, pretend they're, be, they're from the IRS, they tell you owe money, and if you don't pay it immediately over the telephone, they're going to have somebody come out and arrest you in an hour or so. Right. Yep. These are not the IRS. They, they spoof the caller ID. A lot of the time it looks like it's a 202 area code, which is Washington, D.C., or something like that. But never, ever, ever pay those. If you haven't gotten a call on one of those, you're gonna. I'd watch out for it. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I sometimes there are days where I receive multiple calls from numbers all over the country, uh, all, uh -huh. all the same, the same thing. It's the IRS saying I didn't, uh, didn't pay my taxes. So, do, do you have any figures on how lucrative that particular kind of IRS impersonation scam is? I mean, how much money he will have lost in total so far, like for last year or anything? I don't have any numbers at my fingertips, but it's a large amount of money, and yeah. and it's it's certainly millions. I'm, I'm sure tens of millions. Wow. Yeah, it would have um, to be pretty and, lucrative uh, stuff. One of the things with that is they almost always want you to send the money, Western Union or MoneyGram. Right. And that's a hallmark. I mean, all the all the crooks love Western Union MoneyGram because you got to give them cash. And once it's gone and picked up, it's gone. It's not like yep. a credit card that you can charge back yep. against. So, I mean, if anything, your listeners take away from the show, never, ever, 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 ever send any money through Western Union MoneyGram to somebody you have not met face-to-face -face in person, ever. That's a great point, Steve. We are proud to have Western Union that helps us, and they've had uh, a couple episodes where they've come on and say the exact same thing, never, never, never send money through, through their service without knowing who it's going to. By June 18th, it's actually going to be illegal for any telemarketer to receive money through Western Union or MoneyGram. Really? Any telemarketer. The other thing is, of course, people have been ripped off by Western Union MoneyGram. They need to complain not only to us, but also directly to Western Union MoneyGram. Because if I send money to 123 South Boulevard in St. Louis, that money can be picked up anywhere in the state of Illinois. And the consumer does not know where it's actually picked up. Western Union MoneyGram do. And they add that into the complaint, and then they download that complaint into this consumer database we maintain at the FTC. Fantastic, fantastic. And just to remind all of our listeners that we have the fraud reporting hotline for Western Union at scammercast.com. So if you if you feel like you have been scammed in that way, definitely report it to Western Union, and they'll take it from there. Yeah, they're really good at handling this stuff. Yeah. What else are you seeing, Steve? The other one that's just really, really taken off in the last year or so are tech support schemes where you supposedly have a problem with your computer and they want to remote into your computer and then supposedly fix some awful stuff that's on there. And they can get you get in contact with you about three different ways. Sometimes people see sponsored links on the search engines they click on, call the company. 
Other times people get cold calls completely out of the blue, say, gee, we're doing a routine scan and your computer's sending out signals that there's a problem with it. And probably the most troublesome right now, people are getting pop-ups on their computers, sometimes blue screens that says with warnings coming out of the speakers saying don't <laughs> touch your computer, don't power it down, or you lose all your data, right. call us to f- call this number to get it fixed. Well, the people you call, sometimes they're, I think, responsible for the pop-ups themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they're fixed to the extent that there is a problem, they've caused it. So I would never, ever, ever let anybody remote into my computer. And if even Microsoft tells me that you really can't trust anybody, that, that if you've got a problem with your computer, you need to take it into a brick-and-mortar place to have them take a look at it. That's great advice. That's really Yeah, good, yeah. Steve, you know, uh, many of our listeners may be uh, – First-time computer users, maybe not as savvy as some other folks. When you use the term remote in, what, what does that mean? Well, if you, they want you to download a program so they can kind of get into your computer and, and make it operate as if they were sitting at the keyboard instead of you. I see. Uh, and people are in office situations are probably used to having administrators do it, and it's okay if you're talking to your help desk in your company, but for any consumer, I would never let anybody remote in. And we're also afraid that in addition to not fixing problems because they don't exist, so we're afraid that sometimes they may be also in, actually installing spyware or some something like that on your computer. So we got some like 40,000 complaints on that last year and we get complaints from maybe 10% of victims. So the the curve has just absolutely exploded. I know half a dozen people per, in my own personal life who've been ripped off by this in the last six months. I hear so that a lot. I really do. When I'm out go- doing presentations, which I've been doing lately, I, I hear that from virtually every audience is, oh, they're telling me my computer's got a problem. So I'm really with you, Steve. This is, is quite a big deal. So it must be lucrative as well. Oh, yeah. I actually saw a complaint, uh, anonymous complaint from a guy in India who said that these guys who are doing this, that if they can make one sale a day of about $500, that they're, that, that they're essentially going to be rich by st- standards of India. Wow. Well, yeah. 2500 a week for a five-day work week. That's not a bad uh, mm-hmm. not a bad haul, is it? Wow. Right. Unbelievable. You know, we just recently had uh, an episode uh, about the romance scams. Do you, do you see many complaints about those? The romance scams are really scary on a couple fronts, mm. and they actually prosecuted a guy for that here in the Southern District of Illinois. So these are people that contact people that are online dating sites, chat them up, maybe spend six months sending building a relationship, grooming them. And people fall in love with these imaginary people. They're using, a lot of the time, pictures of real U.S. Uh, military folks. Right. And then eventually they got to have money. How much of this is there? They did a study in the U.K. a couple years ago, and they figured that they've got at least 230,000 victims in England alone for this every year. And we've got five times the population of mm-hmm. England. Oh, my goodness. So, so we don't get... A lot of these people, as you can imagine, don't complain. Sure, they really totally believe that this is that this, that this is for real. In addition to, to to robbing these people, they also use the romance scam victims basically as money launderers. So if the Nigerian say is is has hacked into uh, Art's online bank account and got access to his online banking, they will then wire that, do a bank-to-bank wire transfer that money into another bank account of a romance scam victim in the United States, Mm -hmm. who then sends it on to Nigeria or wherever. 
Wow. And I fear that there's massive, massive numbers of romance scam victims that are not only using their own money, but they're also aiding and aiding a whole lot of other crimes. Is this what they call a money mule? Is is that what a what the term yeah, would be for yes, someone? Yes, it is a money mule situation. Wow. And there's there's huge amounts of it. But the victims themselves of the romance scams, it's really bad. I mean, it's not only do people lose their money, but it's emotionally devastating oh, when they eventually... It sure is. Yeah, they're crushed, yeah. I'm sure. The Australians tell me that they think they have more suicides over romance scams in Australia than they do murders. Wow. That is really something. That's stunning. Wow. We've actually heard stories as well about romance scams that involve drugs. You know, all of a sudden the victim turns into a drug mule. Yes, that can happen too. Goodness. There was a, they recently prosecuted a romance scam victim in West Virginia, federal prosecution. She was convicted. Um, she kept handling money even after the law enforcement had, had told her it was a fraud. Oh, she um, just didn't believe it. Oh, wow. Huh? They tried to figure out, they've also done studies on who, who falls for these things. You know, is it rich? Is it poor? Is it young? Is it old? Yeah. Is it men? Is it women? And what they found, the only common denominator is that the people that get into these are people that really believe in, in absolute true love, just like in the movies. And they're convinced they've met their soulmate. And it's very hard to convince them wow. that that's not the case. Yeah, wow. yeah. Hard, hard to shake that firmly held conviction and belief, right? Oh, they just want to believe so bad. Yeah, yeah. So they recently prosecuted one of those guys, Nigerian guy, here in the Southern District of Illinois just a month or so ago. They actually got him out of South Africa. He was living in South Africa, so they got him um, and got him to Southern Illinois. He was been visiting England, and when he went to get on his plane at Heathrow, they arrested him, and the Brit sent him over here. So he's been was sent in the county jail here for a year before he went to trial. And after two days of listening to witnesses and stuff, he just decided to plead guilty before the judge heard more about how awful he was. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. How did they get him to Southern Illinois? How did they get him? Yeah. How did they get him to come to Southern Illinois? Or did they? Well, he he was visiting England for two weeks, and okay. they were able to figure that out. Okay. And and then I put him in touch with the Scotland Yard, and which moved very quick. And when the guy went to Heathrow to get back on his airplane, the London Metro Police arrested him. Wow. And okay. Then, so they and then put him on a plane over here. That's gr that's great. I'm so yeah. glad they caught him. It's like one of the only federal prosecutions of one of these people I've ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Right here in and our he, backyard. And he had not only had, I think, over 100 victims that they could identify. Some of the stories were heartbreaking. But he had also ripped off some of the computer companies using stolen credit cards to order laptops and iPads and stuff like that. And then he had those sent to his victims, which were then sent him over to South Africa, where he had a store selling those things. Wow. Mm. You know, Steve... Uh to shift gears a little bit, I've been hearing about robocalls for medical alert devices that, uh, you know, obviously older adults uh, are using more and more. Are you seeing uh, those kinds of problems? Yeah, we actually sued a, a company, a couple of companies that were doing robocalls for medical alert devices. I mean, first, I would never, ever buy anything that's being sold through a robocall. Robocalls are illegal to begin with. Yeah. So why should you believe anything they tell you? Right. But yeah, we sued a big operation in Miami that was doing robocalls for medical alert devices for something called LifeWatch. Mm -hmm. And then we shut down the room and, and stopped the robocalling. And then we alleged that 
LifeWatch, the company that actually has the devices, simply turned around and started hiring other people to do robocalls for <laughs> them. So we sued LifeWatch itself, and a federal judge in Chicago issued a preliminary injunction against them just in the last month or two. That's good. Um, That's really good. Yeah, no, these, one of the things with the robocalls on this is they were telling people that somebody had ordered this medical alert device for them, some friend or relative, and right. a lot of people believe that. It wasn't true. So these are older consumers. Yes, if you really want to get one of these devices, I think there are devices that work. The device is always free. Uh, they make their money on the monthly monitoring service for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be really careful because I'm afraid there's, there's starting to be quite a few crooks out there doing the medical alert device. Yeah. yeah, I've been hearing about that one, too, when I do presentations. It's it's terrible because they're preying on elders again and, and on fear. Well, and they doubt. are, and we've had them make sales, get credit card numbers out of people with dementia. Right. Um, there are people that are in nursing homes they've signed up who have absolutely no need for these things, right. given where they are. So, right. it's, yeah, those are, those are definitely a problem. Okay. Any other uh, popular scams in the, in the robocall area besides the medical alert devices? Well, I think all of us have probably received a couple dozen calls from Rachel at Card Services over the last few years. <laughs> yep, sure yeah, have. Know her well. <laughs> so the deal on those is there's a lot of people who are paying really high interest rates on their credit cards. So if you punch through and talk to these folks, they claim they can save you $2,500 on interest rate on your credit cards and that they can negotiate with the credit card companies. And they charge you eight to $800,000 for the supposed service, but guarantee they'll save you 2500 Reality, all they do, if they do anything, is get on the three-way call with you with the customer service line at your credit card company and say, gee, will you reduce these credit card interest rate? The bank says no, and that's it. But there's, that's that's really a huge scam. We've actually did an organized effort to go after. There's a whole lot of different boiler rooms that are doing that, and we have probably sued a dozen of them at the FTC over the last few years, figuring if you take out the people that are making the money, they won't have the money to pay to have anybody robocall for them anymore. Oh, okay. But, but that's that's how Rachel works. It's an interesting world. Yeah. It really is. It really is. But it, it's so good to hear that, you, as one of the good guys, are, are out there and you're prosecuting a lot of these folks and doing what you can. I mean, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose, but still, you, you are making some dents in the crooks out there, and, and that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we can bring a hopeful message to our listeners as well. We, we do what we can. We're, we're really outgunned, and there's a tremendous amount more to do that, that's there. The one thing I know that really makes people angry are robocalls. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I get angry calls from the public sometimes and it's really we have done some cases against the people that do robocalls. We had one case in Chicago against a guy who pretended to be in China but he was really in Southern California and he had placed 2.6 billion billion robocalls over wow. an 18 month period. My goodness. That's incredible. I mean, you must have an amazing technological setup there to be able to do that. Well, computers can do amazing things, and right. some of the stuff they're just dialing, it's just sequential dialing. So they dial 555 and just clear through the whole sequence of numbers. Do you think those call blocker devices work for robocalls? I've really never seen one of them, and I don't know if they work or not. 
it would be nice if they did. I, I, so I just really don't know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Steve, you've used the term a couple times talking about robocalls, a boiler room. Tell our audience what that is. Well, so telemarketing fraud people tend to be in, a, in, in big rooms where they've all got banks of telephones and they make phone calls all day. And the whole historical name for those is boiler rooms, and not sure quite why. Partly because they're high pressure, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But 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 those are where a lot of the the real collective money comes from, and there are a lot of them out there. In fact, we just had two of them in sh- suburban Chicago, to my astonishment. We shut down over the last year or two. But in addition, of course, to the to the boiler rooms, there's also a lot of scams are. Are, are changing. They're organized instead of having people working out of their houses with cell phones to make themselves harder to find. Hmm. But, but there are. I'm. Sh- I'm. Sh- would be surprised if there's not at least a couple thousand boiler rooms operating just within the United States today. Wow. And so they're looking this is, at this is this is big money collectively. It really is. Is it all medical alert things? What other kinds of robocall themes do you hear? We've had robocalls for cruise lines. You may have heard those with a foghorn. There's others <laughs> that are doing the Rachel from card services. Right. Medical alert. Uh, we've seen them for extended warranties on automobiles. Oh, right. There are some that are, are selling home security systems, not necessarily a medical alert device, but, okay. but some sort of home security systems. For, I get them in Chicago at home for some gl- gutter cleaning service. Really? It, so it's just... There's a lot of things that are using them, and it's we've actually talked to people about the economics of them, and they said, well, you know, it's cheaper way to actually get people than doing it advertising on TV or or the internet or or sending people postcards. It works. Yeah, right. And, and it is legal for companies to use this. I mean, if if you have a gutter company and you really do specialize in cleaning gutters or something, it's legal for you as a business owner to use this method, right? No, it's not. not. It is completely illegal. Okay. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good for people to know. Yeah. I think the moral of the story is if you're getting a robocall, it's it's automatically a problem, automatically illegal. Well, the people, the only people that are exempt are politicians right. and, uh, and charities. Uh, we actually had somebody here in this office got a call, robocall this morning from somebody pretending to be the Illinois Police Association. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that as well. So all of a sudden now the the uh, fake charities are coming out of the woodwork to do the right, robo calling. Right. Right. Well, we are catching up with Steve Baker, the director of the Midwest Regional Office of the Federal Trade Commission. We're going to take a short break here, and we're going to come back. There's uh, some more scams that Steve wants to tell us about, and then also provide all of us with resources that the FTC provides in this arena. Have you received any of these robocalls? Have you heard about any of these scams? If so, leave us a comment. Leave us your story at scammercast.com. And we'll be right back. It's time to take a break during this episode of the ScammerCast. Have you liked our effort on Facebook? Visit the link via our website at ScammerCast.com and be sure to share any of our informative articles with your friends and family. It's all about education and protecting our seniors. We'll be right back. There was a day when the villain was easy to spot. These days different. Today, technology allows scammers to reach victims across the globe through mail, email, 
phone calls, and even social media. Know what to look for so you can help protect yourself no matter where you are. We remind you to never send money to people you haven't met in person and to always verify before you send. You work hard for your money. Don't let a few minutes with a scammer separate you from what's taken days, weeks, or even a lifetime to work for. Western Union. Move money for better. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Hi, this is Mari Frank, and I'm an attorney, mediator, privacy, and identity theft expert in Orange County, California, and you're listening to the Scammercast.com on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you're alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The Discipline to Grow the strength of experience, the ability to adapt. Values that endure. Midwest Trust. Things in 1982 were a lot more simple. BMX bikes, the Versailles apartment complex in Schaumburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg called E.T. Science fiction, the detail of a broken but still together family, the relationships that were made when you were 12, ones that are never again truly realized. It seems a lot heavier than most remember, but all of these things and more await you in the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Steven Spielberg's E.T. 1982 on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. Let's dig back in with your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is Curtis Bailey at ScammerCast.com. And Art Mains. We are talking today with Steve Baker from the Midwest Regional Office of the Federal Trade Commission, and he's been educating us uh, tremendously on the kinds of scams out there, the scope of scams and frauds. And we, we wanted to check back in with you, Steve, and hear a little bit more about the scope of this this whole world of scams and frauds. What do we know about the numbers of complaints and the losses and that sort of thing? What's your perspective on that? This is also incredibly common. I wouldn't believe it if I didn't do it for a living, but I can guarantee, I think, that each of your listeners, either they or somebody they know or one of their neighbors or friends, have been ripped off and maybe not that long ago. A lot of people don't talk about it. True. How do we know that? Two ways. First of all, we have done a couple of nationwide consumer surveys where we've asked people by phone about five or six of the scams that are most common at the moment. And consistently what we find is that about 10% of the adult population in the United States falls victim has, had fallen victim to one of these scams in just the last 12 months. In other words, about 10% of the whole country every year and if you go back several years, obviously there's going to be a whole lot larger percentage. So that's amazing. And we also then we also have a consumer complaint database called Consumer Sentinel. So we try to centralize the consumer complaints. So it contains the complaints not only that come into the Federal Trade Commission, but we get the complaints from all the better business bureaus in the country, from Western Union, from MoneyGram, from Publishers Clearinghouse from the National Consumers League and a variety of other sources. And then that database we make available over the internet to like 3,500 different law enforcement agencies. So we can also look at look at that and try to figure out how much fraud there is. And again, it's it's absolutely incredible the, the amount that's out there. So this is something that's, that affects everybody's everyday everyday life. Yeah, I was looking at the most recent FTC Consumer Sentinel Network report that came out in late February, and I was stunned to learn that the St. Louis metro area and Missouri are both number one in their respective uh, categories for identity theft. Would you say a little bit about that? Sure. I was I was pretty surprised, too. So St. Louis is more identity theft per capita than anywhere in the country last year. Why is that? I went to look at those complaints. They're almost all bogus tax returns. Really? Where somebody is filing a tax return in your name, getting the re getting the refund, and then you go to file taxes, and the IRS says, well, you already filed. So why so this area? Are we just not good with keeping our information private? Or, I mean... Well, the question is, is for to, to do if I want to do a uh, bogus tax return or its name, I need his name, I need a social security number, and I don't know that I need a whole lot more than that in order to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. But the probably what's happening is that there's been a data breach. We all hear about data breaches every day, and everybody wonders, well, they're stealing information. What are they doing with it? And I think they're using it for taxes. So my strong suspicion is that there's been maybe a medical facility or somebody else that's got not just your credit card information but also your social security number that's been hacked or there's been a breach and that's why st louis um, it, i don't know beyond that i'm actually kind of curious myself it brings to mind the problem in the st louis area it brings to mind that big anthem data breach right. from a couple of years ago i wonder if that's where a lot of this came from well, it's a lot of work to do a data breach. you got to hope to make some money out of it somehow. That's right. So yeah, very interesting. Uh, 
I'm sure that there'll there'll be uh, more uh, more uh, info that comes out. Uh, maybe maybe uh, we'll get some answers as to why St. Louis is such a leader in this area that it doesn't want to be a leader in. Yeah, definitely yeah. not. But again, the question is who's doing this? I don't have great information on this, but what I have heard is that the money from the bogus taxes is a lot of the time going back to these romance scam victims we talked about, right. and then mm. and then going over to Nigeria, at least a fair amount of it. And there have been, I've heard figures, something like five or six billion dollars a year going off to Nigeria or going through these, these bogus tax returns. So you're talking about a, a really serious national problem. And I, I know the IRS has been trying. I hope they can do more to stomp this stuff out. But it's, it's really, really a problem. Wow. Now, is the grandparent scam still a big deal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know how this works. Uh, somebody gets a call and says, Grandma, says your favorite grandson. And she says, Nick. And he says, yeah. He says, well, she don't tell Mom and Dad. Right. Some buddies and I decided to go on a trip down to Mexico, and we got in a car wreck, and I'm in jail, and I need some money go down to Walmart with his money gram counter and send some money to help me out. So that's 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 it. That's how it works and a lot of people do, you know, not for greed because even if it was a fifty percent chance it really is their grandkid, mm-hmm. a lot of the time they're gonna do it. And, you know, if you got grandparents with twenty something kids, they probably don't talk to them all that often. Right. Sure. So these tend to be out of Montreal in large part. Oh, I've heard recently about some of them coming from the Dominican Republic and, and Mexico. And the, they've, the Royal Canadian Mount of Police in Canada tells me that they are really hiring the best of the best telemarketers to do these, to do these grandparent schemes. They're hmm. really, really good at them. Huh, how about that? You know, and we've talked before about how the grandparent scam has evolved uh, over the years, you know, it used to be you 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 got the phone call, and and the the caller on the other end would just say, you know, Grandma, and Grandma might be prompted to say, Well, Emily, is that you? Uh, yeah, Grandma, it is. And now, uh, because so many older adults are getting on Facebook and maybe posting photographs of their grandkids with names. The uh, the scammers now have the information almost at their fingertips to now identify themselves as Emily, uh, mm-hmm. the granddaughter. Mm-hmm. You know, so it uh, yeah, they they surely can. The other thing we believe they're doing, most obituaries are online. So if there's Fred Nedna, and Fred died a year ago, you can go in, pull up the obituary, and a lot of time it'll give at least first names of grandkids. Right, well, right, yeah, yeah, that's sneaky too. And uh, I've been hearing also that. A new form of the grandparent scam is the the crooks call up and say that the grandparent has been listed as a responsible party on something like a, a loan or um, a student loan of some kind. It's kind of a hybrid scam. Are you are you hearing stuff like that too, Steve? I have I have not heard of that one, although it would hardly surprise me. Right, nothing would really surprise you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the grandparent schemes are they take in massive amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it goes to the Caribbean. So, right, we've actually had to reach out to the State Department because embassies were getting calls from grandparents worried about their kids they thought were stranded or in jail or in the hospital in those countries and needed help. And the State Department people are like, "What? Why are we getting these calls?" Right. So we had to help can, them out. I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, speaking of the Caribbean, uh, I've heard stuff that. Scamming American seniors is one of the pillars of the Jamaican economy, along with agriculture and hospitality. Is that still true, or what's going on with Jamaica? Because I hear that that country come up a lot. 
Jamaica is absolutely massive. Uh, the problems are just incredible. They often call pretending to be from Publishers Clearinghouse and say, hi, is this uh, Art Main, uh, Art G Main? Are you sitting down? Mm. Say, hi, I'm Vice President of, Meg- of Publishers Clearinghouse, and once a year I get to call a second-place winner, and that's you. And they chat people up, what are you going to do with the money? People think of the good things they can do for their communities or families. And they ask if it's okay if we bring a photographer over tomorrow. And people get totally jazzed. And then they say, well, of course, there's got to be some taxes paid. So you just send us those, and uh, we will have your, 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 your big check and the camera crew at your house. Wow. So the Jamaicans also, one of their hallmarks is they also often tell people that they're going to have a new Mercedes delivered to their house later right. that afternoon. I've heard that, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how much of this is there? Well, it's there's certainly billions of dollars flowing to Jamaica through this. Um, a lot of it from seniors, most of it probably from seniors. It's really hard to quantify. I have seen pictures of the same neighborhood in Montego Bay from like three years ago and now and it used to be shacks and now it's little mcmansions wow there's no new industry there wow wow so it is really big publishers clearinghouse itself has like 16 people handling phone calls every day from people that think they won but didn't or have been ripped off wow so so they're really trying the moral is check it out any sweepstakes thing if you can't independently get hold of somebody that says it's real, or it, it's a crook, and also anybody that wants any money for any reason before giving you a sweepstakes award, they're crooks. I guarantee it, because <laughs> it's illegal to to do that. Wow. In fact, it's so bad in Jamaica that they had 1,200 murders in Jamaica of right last year, just last year, and these are rival telemarketing gangs. Oh, amazing! Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, Ga- telemarketing gang wars, huh? I can see the movie yeah. already. Yeah. You know, and Jamaica says that it's got about the same population as Chicago, and believe it or not, four times the murder rate of Chicago. Ooh, Ooh. That, that's hard to imagine. I know it is. Wow. So this is, again, the message is this is a huge global enterprise, and, and they're targeting Americans, especially American seniors, because that's where the money is. Right. Yeah. Wow. What recommendations do you make, Steve, to the public about where they can go, what they can do if they suspect a scam or a fraud? Well, I mean, the first thing to do is is don't be rushed. I mean, these guys all want you to move immediately. They don't want you to have a time to really think about it or check it out. But 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 do but you've got to stop and check it out. And nobody with any legitimacy is going to demand your money immediately, no matter what it is. If it's an IRS thing, call the IRS or just hang up. If it's a prize or sweepstakes, they want any money, they're crooks. I guarantee it. If people really want to check it out, they can try that. Do just a little bit of Google search on some of these things. Get the company name and run, say it's American Standard, whatever the company name is. Put it in Google, American Standard Scam, see what comes up. Or you can do Google phone numbers as well. So try to do a little bit of work. It can save you tons of money. Better Business Bureau is wonderful. They've got a site at BBB.org where you can pull up and see what report they have on any company in the United States, whether they're a Better Business Bureau member or not. So we would ask people to pass it on, the stuff that you guys have been doing such a great job getting in, getting out through your podcast. I would urge you to talk, talk to your friends and neighbors, watch out for them, and um, do check these things out in advance. And if you've been ripped off, do complain. We have know from our studies, again, 
that only like 8.4% of people that are victims of scams ever complain to the Better Business Bureau or any law enforcement agency. So most people are embarrassed, but we need that information so we can find the patterns and hopefully protect friends and neighbors from, from being ripped off too. So it's really important to complain. And for the most part, local police, good as they are in a lot of stuff, are not good on this. So you're, so unless it's a really tremendous amount of money or something, you're probably better off complaining to the FTC than, than you are to going to your local police. That's really interesting because that's that's kind of the conventional wisdom is that you should let the local police know. So you're saying that it's much better just to go straight to the Federal Trade Commission, right? I, I think it is. I mean, there's nothing the police are going to be able to do if you send money off through Western Union to Jamaica or, right. or, or Nigeria. And they're not, and the police are not going to contribute your complaint to uh, to, the, to the, our consumer sentinel system. I think that, that, that would be better. There are times, of course, the police are appropriate. Right, but uh, but you really gotta watch out. One of the things with these Jamaican things, it might be worth talking to the police on. The Jamaicans sometimes are threatening people, especially if they quit sending more money. Mm-hmm. Um, they're using Google Earth, so they can know what your house looks like, and they can call and say, "You live in the greenhouse on the corner with the white shutters. I'm standing across the street right now." So they really ramp up the fear factor there. Oof. Oh yeah, and. Threats against kids or grand grandkids too. Um, wow! But but that would be certainly one case where people would absolutely want to go to their local places. You're never going to see these guys. They're just making this stuff up. But it's I would be scared if I got a call like that. Sure. So so Steve, if I have a if I have a complaint and I I make it to the Federal Trade Commission, first of all, where do I go to make that complaint? And secondly, what's the process from that point forward? How does it get handled? Well, if you if you go to uh, you can complain to the FTC at ftc.gov or call eight seven seven FTC help and get a live person English and Spanish, and then it goes into our fraud database um, as far as we're and we're going to use it to look for patterns and we're going to share with other law enforcement agencies that are trying to develop cases too. If people have problems with local businesses or somebody that really is physically located not by. I mean, you can go to the Better Business Bureau. They help mediate complaints with local businesses of all sorts, and they'll do more with that. Better Business Bureau is a great organization. And Illinois Attorney General's Office does some mediation, too, and I think Missouri Attorney General's Office probably does as well. But, but, but that's where you go to complain, and like I say, that'll get it into the hands uh, of law enforcement. All right, and so what happens with a complaint? I mean, if I make a complaint, where does it go? I mean, it becomes a part of reporting, but but is there some way that it gets funneled toward international law enforcement or anything like that? I get this question all the time. Why can't they prosecute these people? We we do share information with, with law enforcement in other countries. We do not have even begin to have the resources to, to, to take action on behalf of individual complaints. Right. Um, you're looking for patterns. Our problem is we've got a couple problems. One is I think the crooks tend to locate in places where they think there's very little danger of criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. That could be Montreal, that could be Florida, that could be Jamaica or Nigeria. And then it's 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 really difficult. Uh, there's only a handful of federal prosecutors in the United States that are willing to do these sorts of cases. So even if the FBI or Postal Inspection Service locate somebody has a case. If they can't find a prosecutor, will do it. Yeah. Um, nothing is going to happen. And these are different kinds of cases than most 
which is why the Southern District of Illinois is so important. They had about a third of all the telemarketing fraud prosecutions in the whole United States happened out of this out of the U.S. Attorney's Office over in Fairview Heights wow. last year. Wow. So they have the expertise in, in handling these kinds of they cases. They have the expertise. There, there's a desperate need for more to be done. The Justice Department just announced, actually, a, they did a case. They've got some people doing consumer protection litigation. But they had a case that they announced a settlement in yesterday against mailings that were going to seniors around the world from a supposed psychic named Maria Duvall. Mm-hmm. And the psychic sends letters, gee, I'm thinking of you, something important has happened, please get back to me immediately. <laughs> and then, of course, Maria wants some money, too, often small sums of money. But she had, they shut down her operation in the U.S., and they had taken over a million people for something like $200 million in just mailings responding to these sweepstakes things. Wow. So that's another important one, for especially for older consumers. You really need to watch out, and if they're getting lots and lots of mail, that's probably the best giveaway I can think of to find somebody that's really at risk because they were, people get on lists of, of bogus charities and sweepstakes things and the psychic things, and they can be sending hundreds of dollars out every week and, and all end up broke. I had a friend in south suburbs of Chicago, and his dad pissed away almost his life savings just on those sorts of things. So wow. if you listeners that know older people, I would watch your mail, and if you see tons of mail, you really got to check further because there's probably something bad going on. Yeah, great advice. And certainly in the uh, elder law world that I work in, and oftentimes I'm working with children, adult children, and family members of those older adults, and they're reporting kind of those unusual repeated transactions, you know, mm-hmm. ATM mm-hmm. withdrawals or, or money orders well, or checks. I, I mean, that's just a hallmark sign that there's a problem. Yes, it is. So on your website at the Federal Trade Commission, you have a ton of resources. What other kinds of things do you have there? Oh, there's a daily blog people can sign up for with some alerts, free, of course. And we have got consumer education pieces on almost anything you can think of. And all that stuff is available free and in bulk to anybody that can make some good use of it and get it into the hands of those who need it. So we'd really encourage people to to take a look, and they're updating this stuff constantly. Well, we had one we we had urged out of Chicago recently. There's a website called care.com where people can sign up and I think get jobs as caregivers for older consumers and stuff. Right. And there's a whole set of, we're calling them nanny scams, (laughs) but people that think they're looking for a job caring for an older person and they get a cashier's check to cover, they have to supposedly buy wheelchairs or walkers or something for this person they're going to take care of. So they send them a counterfeit cashier's check, have them deposit it, and then send some of the rest of the money from the cashier's check back to somebody else that, that, that for example, you might have to send money off to Western Union to somebody who supposedly has the wheelchair or walker. Right. So people do that, and the cashier's check is counterfeit. They've really sent their own money off, right. and they're just being ripped off. So the, we've seen a big uptick in in scams for people who want to be caretakers. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, Steve, you've given us a, a ton of information uh, today. Steve, what final thoughts do you have for our listeners? 
couple things. If it's one morals to remember, if it's somebody calls about tech support or they claim to be the IRS, they're crooks, I guarantee it. And if you have lost money, please, please complain. It's really important. We need those complaints so we can help find the people that are responsible for this sort of thing. And remember that these, these people are professionals. A lot of people who've lost money blame themselves or think they're gullible. They're not. These guys are professionals who forget that con man's short for confidence man and they're experts at getting your confidence. Right. And yeah. and remember, I mean this is this is all of us. I mean, these guys get everybody. I they've got me one one of these schemes a few years ago and I and I should have known better, but it's but it's just so much of it out there that uh we all just need to Watch out. Be careful where you can. And if you've been ripped off, please do report it. Yeah, th th that's such an important point you made, Steve. I mean, even you, the head of the Federal Trade Commission's Midwest office, got taken in one of these scams. And so one of the myths that we are trying always to dispel here at the ScammerCast is that the people who get ripped off in these ways are somehow stupid. Nothing could be further from the truth. You make a great point there that the crooks are professionals. They are as good at what they do as any doctor or lawyer or accountant or whatever. And it's not an indicator of being stupid that people get ripped off. It's that these guys are really good and we have to be better at staying safe. Would you agree? I would certainly agree. And that's why podcasts like yours are so important. Well, we're so glad that you were with us today. And we will put links to all of the resources that you mentioned, the phone numbers and the websites and everything, on the show page at scammercast.com. Steve, uh, again, thank you so much for your long service uh, in the federal government with the Federal Trade Commission, and thank you for coming on today to share your thoughts and wisdom with us. Great. Good to be with you. Thanks again. We want to encourage uh, all of our listeners to share this episode with your friends and family members. And if, if you like the episode, leave us a comment. Uh, leave us a thought. Uh, have you seen any of these scams and how did you deal with it? Leave that at scammercast.com. Right. And be sure to, to tell your seniors that you care about to let you know if they get any of these kinds of scam proposals, whether it's a wheelchair or a medic alert system or a sweepstakes prize or whatever, so that together we all work on keeping each other safe and hammering the scammers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ScammerCast your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at ScammerCast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send us your feedback, visit our Facebook presence, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, Hammer the Scammers. The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct advice for your particular situation.